The following podcast will contain spoilers along with unfettered feelings of nostalgia. Proceed at your own risk. folks load your guns and grab your buns it's time for event or else the podcast where i go through most every major marvel and dc event one issue at a time one episode at a time because honestly what else am i gonna do i'm your host my name is steven and here we are you and i together once again but don't worry i'll do all the talking and there's gonna be plenty of it because today we're going to get one more issue in to the event that started it all, Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars. This week, we're looking at issue number seven, and it's entitled Berserker. This issue was published by Marvel Comics in November of 1984, and it was written by Jim Shooter with pencils by Mike Zeck, inks by John Beatty, letters by Joe Rosen, and colors by Christy Scheel. The issue opens with none of the beating around the bush you might get from other comics. The mystery of our phantom skulker from the end of the previous issue lasts about as long as it takes for you to open the cover, where we see on that opening splash page the human torch confronting a redheaded woman in a black and white outfit who introduces herself as Spider-Woman. In fact, this is the first full appearance of Julia Carpenter, the new, at the time, Spider-Woman. Not to be confused with Jessica Drew, the original Spider-Woman. It's always fun when they introduce new characters, but back then, if you were curious to know more about Spider-Woman, while she would show up in other comics as a member of Freedom Force and then the West Coast Avengers, you'd actually have to wait for her four-issue Spider-Woman miniseries in 1993 to get her origin. All we get here in this issue is that she's new to the whole superhero game, that she lives in Denver, and that the Beyonder used a whole suburb of Denver, her suburb, in fact, in his construction of Battleworld. She says that she saw evidence of fighting when we have to assume she was out exploring and then track the heroes back to the village, and now she wants to help them in their struggle. Then she shows them what she can do. Captain America is voicing his concerns at accepting the newcomer when the wrecking crew, still driving their alien monster truck, roar into the village, and in a scene that I've always found more than a little disturbing, toss the wasp's lifeless corpse out the top of the truck before racing away. The heroes quickly grab her up and get her inside so that Zashi, the alien healer, can work her magic. But it's too late. Zashi gives it her best, but there's just nothing left inside Janet to heal. And so, with their friend and comrade dead, the heroes are ready to get out there and throw down a great big bucket of vengeance. Captain America, however, won't let them. Instead, he wants them to wait around for Galactus to finish his world-eating machine. The Hulk wonders why they don't just take the fight to Galactus now, and Cap tells him, actually, he really never explains why they need to wait until the machine is completed, only that they need to be ready to attack, and that they may only have seconds to react once the world devouring begins. I have to admit, though, I'm just as confused as the Hulk. Sitting around and waiting until the machine is running 
Seems like an odd strategy. Regardless, as the heroes discuss the Galactus issue, She-Hulk stalks away. Off to bust some heads, I'm sure. Meanwhile, as Colossus, Rogue, and Wolverine fly back to X-Men headquarters, Professor X reaches out to Cyclops telepathically and tells him to change course. The rest of the X-Men are boarding their own aircraft, and he wants both groups to converge upon the group of villains Cyclops and his team had just tussled with in the previous issue. Those very same villains are racing back to Doom Base with Owen Reese, the Molecule Man, dying in the back of their ship from a wound given to him by Wolverine in that aforementioned previous issue. Back at Doom Base, Volcana learns of Owen's failing health, and she's more than a bit worried for her poor Oe. She even asks the Enchantress to magic her onto Oe's aircraft so that she can care for him. The Enchantress does not feel inclined to help until Volcana offers to pay any price. And so, with such endless possibilities available, the Enchantress sends Volcana on up to the airship where she can fuss and bother over her precious Oe. She doesn't get much time, however, when the X-Men shoot them out of the sky. Molecule Man survives, and the fight commences. During the fight, Professor X hides behind a rock and calls out the plays telepathically as Wolverine slices the Absorbing Man's arm clean off. Luckily, the Absorbing Man had absorbed the properties of some nearby rocks and so doesn't bleed to death then and there. Volcana tries to fry Wolverine, and Rogue finally decides to stop worrying over which side she's supposed to be on. The X-Men hold their own against the villains, but in the end, the villains manage to escape by stealing one of the X-Men's airships. In the meantime, Galactus finally discovers that Doom is aboard his ship, and using the power cosmic, chucks Doom out. And, as the issue puts it, he is not gentle. Back at Doom Base, the villains have arrived with the injured Molecule Man, and Volcana scrambles, trying to find someone who can help him. Dr. Octopus, she learns, is a nuclear physicist, not a doctor of medicine, and Ultron won't lift a finger without word from Doom. And considering that Volcana has already practically promised the Enchantress her soul, she won't lift a finger to help either. The Absorbing Man, still in his rock form, carries his severed arm back to his quarters. He figures that maybe if he holds it in place as he transforms back into his old flesh-and-blood self, his arm will be healed. It's a big risk, but he tries it, and it all works out. Yay! The Wrecking Crew, who have also arrived home, toss the lizard in a cell and head back to their rooms. Bulldozer finds that his room is already occupied by the She-Hulk, who's looking to dish out a little revenge. She takes out the Wrecker and his wrecking crew before she's discovered by Titania, who gives She-Hulk a run for her money. Meanwhile, Dr. Doom, looking as if he'd fallen asleep in a furnace, arrives home and makes it clear to the Enchantress that he's done. It's over. He's given up. Game over, man! At the same time, with Titania's help, along with the Absorbing Man and Dr. Octopus, the Wrecking Crew have finally bested She-Hulk, and they are all about to deliver the killing blow when we change scenes once again. Captain America, heavy of heart, looks out over the alien village that has given them refuge. Hawkeye tells him that She-Hulk is missing and that they all know she went off to take on the villains herself. Cap sticks to his guns, however. 
They cannot leave their post. Even when the Hulk, who actually says please, begs to let them go, Cap will not change his mind. Down in the village, Colossus has decided he's done being emo, and he goes out to find Zashi for his last healing appointment so that he can be of some use. He finds her as she's leaving the hut where the body of the wasp is resting. He calls out to the alien healer only to see her collapse. Just then, Professor X reaches out to Captain America telepathically and offers his X-Men up to watch Galactus so that Cap and his team can go get She-Hulk. The professor promises that his X-Men will attack Galactus the moment the machine is complete, providing that Cap and his team haven't returned yet. Well, that's all Cap has to hear or think. Not really sure how that works. Anyway, he calls the heroes together and tells them that the situation has changed, and he calls out, let's go get those butchers. And there it is, folks. One more issue down, which means it's time for the top three things to dwell on. The top three things to dwell on are three moments in the book that I feel need to be given just a bit more thought. These moments could be funny or stupid or even dead serious. Whatever they turn out to be, I needs to talk about them. Thing to dwell on number three, please explain the Galactus thing to me. Again, I need to understand this. The heroes are cooling their heels, waiting for Galactus to finish his world-eating machine before they can attack. Why? Is it a moral thing? Are they unwilling to take the fight to Galactus until he's actually doing something that could cause others harm? Like, it's not a crime to build the machine, but once it's done, the heroes can attack without feeling guilty? Maybe it's more about strategy. Cap wants the heroes to take advantage of the downtime to rest and build up their strength before attacking. Maybe. Regardless, I feel Jim needed to explain it a bit more. I mean, I understand the whole thing about leaving some stuff ambiguous so that your reader can make up their own mind, but I don't think that quite works here. Yeah, I know, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, and I'm sure that's contributing to my confusion, but I find Cap's motivation here a bit befuddling. I don't know. I I just don't know. Thing to dwell on number two, Volcana's imperceptible weight issue. Back in issue number five, when Piledriver called Volcana a cow and even said moo, I dismissed it. I figured it was just Piledriver being a jerk. I did not, in any stretch of the imagination, believe that anyone could actually consider Volcana overweight. But then, here in issue number seven, they really bear down on it. First, you have Claw calling Volcana his plump pretty. Then, the Enchantress tells her that it takes much energy to transport a body as bloated as hers. I mean, what? All the body shaming is... Look, offensive insults aside, if Volcana is supposed to be overweight, then draw her that way. And I can't just put the blame on Mike Zek here, because that instance in issue 5 was drawn by Bob Layton. So, what's the deal? I know that back in the day... When Stan Lee was writing, the Marvel method was all about the writer 
giving the artists a loose outline or backbone of the issue. And then the artist would draw the book based on that, literally writing the story with their art. Then Stan would come in after and write up the dialogue and text boxes based on the art. Was this still a thing in 1984? Is this how Jim Shooter did it? If so, is this what he considers a woman who is so obese that her teammates feel the need to comment on it? Or is this how two separate artists draw a woman they consider overweight? I have to believe the former. I mean, I did try to find out how Jim Shooter wrote. Did he provide a full script or did he write using the Marvel method? But honestly, while I feel like he was a Marvel method guy back then, I I just couldn't be bothered to put that much work into it. If you know, let me know. Event or else at gmail.com. Thing to dwell on number one, She-Hulk's Revenge. I love She-Hulk. Just want to get that out of the way right here, front and center. She cares so much for her friend, Janet, that she's the only one of the heroes that ignores Captain America's confusing orders and leaves the group to take on the entire team of supervillains all by herself. And she does a fairly good job of it, too. Granted, it looks like she may be dead by the end of the issue, but she was willing to put her life on the line to punish those who hurt her friend. And I love her for that. Plus, she did a lot of damage because she kicks all kinds of butt. And those are the top three things to dwell on. So now we come to that time in the show where I wrap it all up and tell you how I feel about the book in general. I have to be honest here, folks. Issue number seven isn't one of the star issues of the series. Nothing much happens. Not really. I mean, sure, we get introduced to a new Spider-Woman, but that comes right out of left field, and it feels a bit out of place. I mean, she's the third new character they've introduced in this series, and the way it's been done for all three is just like, bam, new character, deal with it. I do find it nice, however, that all the new characters they've introduced in this series are female. Titania, Volcana, and now Spider-Woman. White women, sure, but baby steps, right? There's also a few moments in the book where I feel like Mike Zek was just being rushed. This is only the second issue of his after having just come back from two months off, and yet the issues that he'd done before his break look so much better than this one. I've read rumors that Secret Wars nearly gave Mike Zek a nervous breakdown and may have even soured him on comics altogether. And I don't know how much of that is true. I know he worked on some great looking books after Secret Wars, such as those four issues of the Punisher miniseries and Craven's Last Hunt. But this issue, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. I'm just going to assume he had to rush this one. But really, beyond the great stuff with She-Hulk, which really wasn't that much, it looks like a lot happened. And yet, finishing the book, all I'm left with is this feeling that the book was all about Captain America waiting around for Galactus to finish his machine. But that's okay. They can't all be gold. Sometimes you have to stop and catch your breath before they crank it up another notch. Until then... Join me back here next time when I will attempt to answer the question, did Spider-Man just accidentally create himself an arch nemesis? That's coming at you next week with issue number eight, which is entitled Invasion. You might want to buckle up for that one or not. I'm not the boss of you. 
Event or Else is a presentation of the Just Another Fanboy podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to eventorelse at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Or and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast. A weekly show where I talk about all the nerdy type things I don't have time to talk about in all my other podcast episodes. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share the podcast with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. There's a snore. <laughs> uh, that may go at the end of the sentence. It better.